Last week, we started a little mini two-part series called Kingdom Politics. One of those things that uh, <laughs> is always one of my favorite, not, uh, well, actually, I think needed uh, messages that, that comes across every four years just to make sure that we are looking at things from a kingdom perspective. Uh, looking at things the way that God looks at them. Because, you know, there's so many opinions out there, right? And when it comes down to it, it's not my opinions, not your opinions, God's opinion that really is the one that we need to pay attention to, right? So that is my uh, hope. That is my um, what I want to accomplish here today is to look at what God says uh, concerning different things, and and we'll get into that. I want to though, um, I, I want to kind of start out and say that it can be difficult in a church setting to stand strongly upon principle and yet acknowledge that we have stuff in our lives, in our pasts. Um, the song that, uh, that the worship team uh, brought, Broken Lives Are Made New. You know, we have brokenness. We, we, we come to Christ broken people. We have broken, broken pasts and, and situations and marriages and, and, and all kinds of things, right? And we need to acknowledge that and acknowledge God's grace and his forgiveness and his love and his healing. And at the same time, stand strong upon the principles of his word. So it, it can be, you know, one of these kind of things that we need to uh, hit both at the same time. So, again, principle and grace. Last week in starting this little two-part uh, message, we talked about what is of prime importance in an election year or any other year for that example, uh, for that matter, is that you and I uh, live our lives as salt and as light in this world, uh, living out the Christian faith, praying, personally connecting with God, walking according to his spirit and his word. And part of that is how we function in an election year. Um, what, how we act in the best interest of our nation. So how does that play out? How does that play out? Well, it plays out by you and I, first of all, exercising our, our civic duty to vote, right? Having our voice be heard, doing something with this gift that we have been given. And the other thing is then to vote for those candidates that most closely align with God. And again, we talked about that last week. Jesus is not running, so we don't have any perfect people, um, you know, lining up with God perfectly. Not going to happen. Um, but as we look at that, we have to ask ourselves, in all the issues 
that are going on. What does God say is important to him? Can we know that? Can we prioritize uh, as we look at the issues based on what God says? And the answer to that is yes. We do see in the scriptures God speaking to us and letting us know things that are of high importance on his list so we can make it high important on ours. The first thing as we look at issues, and as, as I contemplated this, I, I, I thought of this, well, you would think that freedom of religion has got to be number one, right? Because we, this, that's what we do. We want to spread the gospel. But the interesting thing is when I, when I look at the book of Acts, when I look at history, uh, when I look at the current situation in the world, for example, the, the huge underground church in China, uh, did you know that Iran right now is the place where Christianity is growing the fastest in the world? Absolutely boggled my mind when I'm hearing these uh, statistics. So uh, we see that very often as we look at history, the gospel actually thrives. The church actually grows strong where there is persecution. So freedom of religion is wonderful, but from a kingdom perspective, it's kind of the icing on the cake, really. It's great, but it's not necessarily a priority from that kingdom perspective. So, what do we see as we look in the scripture? Well, we know that God delivered his people out of Egypt, right, out of bondage, and brought them into the promised land. God says, it's, it's my land, and I'm going to bring you into it. But we also know that that land was already inhabited by other nature, uh, nations, other cultures, right? Other people that God himself was evicting. And we have to ask the question, why did God judge those nations? Why did God evict them out of the promised land? Well, the answer is in Leviticus chapter 18, beginning at verse 20. And he says this. He says, and you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. He says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these things the nations I am driving out from before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. You can read it all through Leviticus 18, not going to get into the whole thing, but there it is, adultery, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, etc., 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 all under the heading of sexual practices that God calls an abomination or detestable to him. Going on, look at verse 26. He says, but you, on the other hand, shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did these abominations so that the land became unclean. 
lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. So we see here then that sexual sin is the reason that God gives for personally intervening in history, personally intervening in these nations against these nations in judgment. So I guess it's safe to conclude very easily that this is a big issue with God. So then we need to ask ourselves, where do the candidates stand on normalizing what God calls abomination? Now, although I think it's enough for us to just say God's again it, right? Um, he thinks it's detestable, but let's go a little deeper this morning. Let's remember why God calls things sin to begin with. It's because these things ultimately hurt us in the end. Look at the Ten Commandments. Why does God say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this? Nothing that you and I do on the earth, we've talked about this before, affects God. He's complete in himself. He needs nothing, right? All the direction that he gives us is for us, for our good, for our well-being. So if it's going to hurt us in any way, shape, or form, God says, stay away from it. Now think about it. What has taking sexual relationships outside of marriage done throughout history, in our culture and beyond, right? How much heartache, broken homes, unwanted pregnancies, disease, on and on and on it goes, right? So there's, there's the, the, the natural consequences that God is trying to uh, save us from. But there's also another reason I want to share with you that I, I don't think is, is very widely grasped. Shortly after God created man, he revealed his plan for us. Genesis 2.24 says this. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God, in his infinite wisdom, brought the man and his wife together to live in what he calls a one flesh relationship, so committed to one another, so attuned to each other, such a oneness of heart that it's like two people in one body, right? Her joys are my joys. Her pains are my pains. We are just so, you know, in tune with each other like that. So when God then speaks of his hatred for divorce, um, and again, you know, it's not like there isn't brokenness that we need to show grace to, but standing for principle. The principle is God hates divorce. And why is that? Why was he judging Israel for that? Because in Malachi 2.15, he says this. He said, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Did you know? Did you realize that God himself participates in the marriage covenant? 
that he actually gives a portion of his spirit, a blessing from God to hold people together. That is why Jesus said, and we hear it often in Christian weddings, right? What God has joined together, let no man separate. God himself is invested in the relationship he designed. Why is that? Why is that? For two reasons. Number one, the Holy Spirit through Paul uh, gives us one of those reasons in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 31. He says, therefore, quoting again from Genesis chapter 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He says, this is a profound mystery, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, from the very beginning, this committed covenant husband-wife relationship was supposed to be a picture. It was supposed to be a visual illustration to every nation, tribe, tongue, and culture, a pointing to and a reminder of God's plan for a relationship a personal relationship with each and every one of us. A covenant relationship, an exclusive relationship, committed and faithful. One, the lover, if you will, in a broad sense, the protector, the provider, right? The other, made in the image of the first, but different. That is the partner. The helper. Marriage, therefore, was designed to communicate to us a message from God. And if we change that design, we change the picture. We change the message. If we forego the covenant aspect, if we change the genders... If we break the commitment, any way that us fail broken human beings change things, we then misrepresent God's revelation of himself to mankind. Do you see it? This is, this is bigger than us. This is why God designed it, why he made male and female, why he put this all together. And it's into this committed covenant relationship, the one that God puts his spirit in, that he instituted the sexual relationship. A benefit that God himself adds to this design to bring joy and pleasure And intimacy, intimacy that, and watch this, intimacy that produces life. You see it? Man and woman come together, intimacy brings life. God and man come together in intimacy and it produces life. That's what God was saying. That's why he started this whole thing in the first place. He's trying to talk to us, human beings. 
like I said, it's bigger than us. And when we mess with it, we're messing with something that isn't ours to mess with. This is God's design. And that's why he takes it so very seriously. And take it a step further. Malachi, in that same verse, he says that God makes them one. And then he asks this question. And what was God seeking? The answer given, godly offspring. God designed this one man, one woman covenant relationship to be the atmosphere for raising children, godly children. Children who would be taught about God by the very relationship itself, by the marital relationship. That's their first lesson to see God and us. The male and female traits combined together to raise children, right? Just like God and us coming together to raise disciples. See, it's all part of that grand design. It's all part of the picture, all part of what God was communicating, even that aspect of the gospel from his design of marriage and the family. This is what God says will be the foundation for the family and for society. And when we go outside of his plan, outside of his design, we corrupt the message, we corrupt the family, we corrupt society. See, God creates and designs things for our ultimate good, for our blessing, right? And then, man, we get in there and we mess it all up. We distort it and we end up with all kinds of problems, don't we? All that to say that this is a critical issue with God. So again, the question, where do the candidates stand on issues of sexuality and marriage? Do they stand with God or do they stand against him? And speaking of children, the most innocent and vulnerable among us, Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know, even though, we all know this, even though there are over 7 billion people in the world, right, and no two are exactly alike, yet each one is designed by God, given gifts and ability, even personality, for what reason? To reflect his image and bring him glory. Psalm 139, beginning of verse 13, we see it so clear. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, 
when as yet there was none of them. You see, God is not only personally involved in our formation, even in the womb, but he has a life planned for each and every one of us. Days that were written in his book to be fulfilled by this person that he formed, that he created, that he designed. So then to interrupt that formation or cut those days short is to directly oppose God, to interfere with his plan. And this is not anybody's right. No matter what any human court says. Again, let me say this. Individuals, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, individuals can find forgiveness and healing through genuine repentance coming to God. But... This is something that God takes very, very personally. Genesis 9-6. God, in the context of the judicial system, himself instituted the death penalty for murder. He says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. And then he adds this. He adds this why to it, right? For God made man in his own image. See, it wasn't only about human justice. It was because that person didn't just take another life. They destroyed something that God made for himself. In his image. And again, though individuals find healing and grace for broken lives and mistakes, for a nation, look what God says about Judah in 2 Kings 24, 3 and 4. He says, Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not pardon. Manasseh, king of Judah, was a very cruel, very wicked leader who rebelled against God. He brought into Israel, into into Judah, um, all kinds of false religion and sorcery and other pagan practices. And in doing so, there was a couple things that he did. Number one, he ordered those that opposed him uh, to be killed, including the prophets of God. And number two, he instituted the worship of Molech. Molech was the Canaanite god. And everything, when we read about Molech in the scriptures, it's always tied into um, the sacrifice of children, the shedding of innocent blood. So can I say this morning, by way of principle, any nation or ruler that condones the shedding of innocent blood stands opposed to the God of heaven. 
and puts the entire nation under his judgment. Yes, abortion may be legal in the United States, but it is far from it in the eyes of God. This is the shedding of innocent blood. And we need to ask ourselves, where do the candidates, where do the parties stand on an issue that God holds very important in his eyes? We've looked at three issues this morning. Sexuality, marriage, the sanctity of human life. That God has shown us, God has spoken to us and said, these are causes that I have intervened into human history. These are causes that I have brought judgment on nations for. So as we, in 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 an election year, look at issues that will either bring God's blessing or his judgment, we have to look at things from a kingdom perspective. As we talked about last week, it, if, if, a, if a, we could have the greatest policy in the world for economics or, or, or you know, international uh, you know, dealings with other countries, foreign policy and all that kind of stuff. But if we're opposing God in key areas, those wonderful policies are not going to come to fruition God will stand opposed to a nation. So how can we then act on behalf of the betterment of a nation, but to do the best that we can, looking at issues, looking at what's important to God, and casting our vote the best that we can in those areas? I'm not here to sway people towards... I haven't mentioned any names, I haven't mentioned any parties, I haven't mentioned any, you know, that's that's not my deal. My deal is to point people to the scriptures and say, what is, what do we need to do before God and our conscience with him? And again, this is not, um, it's not just principles that, that we need to do uh, for the best for our country in, in an election year, it, even more so if we are God's children, should we not value what he values? As new creations in Christ, should these, not, these issues be important for us all year long, every year, honoring marriage, as Hebrews says? holding the sexual relationship sacred within that covenant of marriage as God designed it, standing up for the sanctity of human life, speaking up for the innocent and the vulnerable. Shouldn't these be, if they're important to God, shouldn't they be important to us all day, every day? Because as we know, walking in harmony with God brings the greatest blessing to us, to families, to communities, to a nation. And that's what we want as we live our lives as light and as salt in this world. We, we, we want the best for everybody. And, and that's why we try to get people to come into a relationship with God, 
to, to know him, to learn of him, to experience his love, to experience his grace, and, and to begin to walk with him, begin to, you know, we're, we're doing it. We're yielding our hearts more and more and more. God, I, I want to do things your way, Lord. I, I've, you know, I've messed up, and I want to go your way. I want to do what you would have me to do. Because, again, my, you know, Bible says love your neighbor, but loving my neighbor doesn't help God. It helps me. It helps my neighbor. It helps our neighborhood, right? All of that. So God just wants to love us, and uh, we need to keep our eyes on him. Amen? Kingdom perspective. What's important to you, God? What do you want me to do? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us in our brokenness. And you lead us in the way of truth. You lead us in the way of righteousness. Help us, Lord, each and every day. Each and every day, Lord. And in this an election year, help us to make wise choices. Help us to side with you, Lord, not, not against people, not, uh, not slandering and not, uh, help us to love in all that we do. We thank you for that, Lord. Let your grace shine upon us, Lord. For your glory, through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.